morning. Really glad that you're here. I'm going to ask if you would turn in your Bible, if you brought one with you, to Mark chapter 4. Maybe it's on your phone or you have a hard copy or maybe you have an iPad with you. But if you don't own a Bible, we have free Bibles in the back of the auditorium, actually in the atrium after the service, if you want to pick one up when you leave. If you don't happen to have one with you, maybe in the pew rack, you can find where the chair rack in front of you, or you can watch on the screen. That'll, that'll help you to dig into where we're at. Um, I'm going to term a, a new phrase this morning. I, th- I think it's unique to me, but if you've heard it before, you catch me after the service and say, no, nah, that's been around a long time. So here's my new word. It's, it's called Godomatic. all right? And I'm going to show you why I use that term this morning. So Godomatic. And last week we were in Matthew 13, and we began exploring in this section two of the parables how Jesus is using parables and indicating things that should be typical of us. Well, last week in Matthew 13, we saw that he was driving towards the point that the mark of a true believer is that there would be fruit in our life, that we would be producing something. There should be some indicator in our life that there's an allegiance to Jesus, and it comes out in different ways. And, And that means that spiritual fruit is the inevitable product of a spiritual life. You align with Jesus, you belong to him, you name the name of Christ, then you should be able to point to some fruit in your life. Well, one of the great strengths of being able to work through a series like this is that week after week, we can follow up on what we talked about the previous weekend. Well, last weekend, coming out of the nine o'clock service during Q&A, and if, if you haven't been to nine o'clock before, there's a Q&A session after that. Coming out of that Q&A session was a question about, well, what kind of fruit are we talking about? What, what would that actually look like? Because scripture talks about multiple forms of fruit. Well, I gave you a couple examples this morning in your notes because we get to follow up on what we talked about last week. At the very top of your notes inside your bulletin, you're going to also see this up on the screen, are some of the marks or categories of the fruit of believers. First one, one of them is an example, is the fruit of attitude. And you've seen that in Scripture before. If you've spent any casual time even reading the Bible, it says there should be love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and meekness and self-control maybe to a greater degree today than there was five years ago in your life? Or perhaps the fruit of behavior. As scripture speaks about that in Philippians, the, the fruit of behavior is a righteous attitude, a, a righteous way of carrying out your life, meaning how you spend in your money. What does your conversation look like outside the walls of the church? How are you doing in the ethics in your work area? What does that fruit of the attitude look like? Well, those are all fruits that we're speaking of there But the fruit that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 13, that's a different fruit entirely. He was talking about the fruit of when we sow the word, when we sow seed. What is that producing? And many times that causes us to sit up in our chair a little bit straighter because we start feeling uncomfortable about whether or not we're actually doing that one. Maybe we're nailing the fruit of righteous behavior. Maybe we're nailing the fruit of attitude. Like, I got that gentleness thing down. But maybe when it comes to the fruit of sowing the word of God, sowing the seed, we feel a little bit more uncomfortable. Well, today what we're gonna talk about is this really basic principle that God promises that whatever seed you sow in whatever form you do it, how you do it, he's gonna bless it, he's gonna use it, he's gonna expand the kingdom through it. In some cases, he actually brings about salvation. So what that means is that as you're faithful to actually trust him to use the seed that you plant, he's gonna turn something in the way of a return on that planting. 
So I want to help you explore that in Mark chapter 4 because of this reason. Secretly, we all feel as though we really fail in that area. And I'm talking about even pastors. We all feel like, I could have said something more in that conversation. Or if I'd only jumped on that comment. Or if I'd only used what I know to encourage that person, ah, but I missed it. I wish I could have a do-over. Well, many times, even when we get a do-over, we take a pass on it. And so secretly inside, we all feel like we come up short on that area. And that may be true. But I'm here to show you this morning that you might be wearing a false guilt over that particular issue. So let's go to Mark chapter 4 so that we really understand what he's talking about because the point that Jesus is driving towards is that believers in Jesus will produce fruit during the church age because Jesus is coming again. Hey, many of you were here last week. Excellent. Okay, you got that. If you weren't here last week, we we started off with that phrase. We're going to pray right now and we'll come back to that phrase again. Join me in prayer for just a moment. Father, I thank you for what we're about to examine. Even though it goes fast, use this. Use this to go deep in our lives. Draw us closer to you. Bless the effort that we've made to be here this morning. But God, I ask that you would use it as we impact and connect with other people. Use it powerfully for the sake of your church and for the sake of your kingdom. Most of all, we ask that you would use it for the name of Jesus, our Savior. And God's people said, amen. All right. Jesus is coming again, right? Okay, so that reality drives everything that we're exploring about this second section of the parables because Jesus is describing a unique period of time in this second section of the parables. He begins talking about the church age, and so he begins using the parables that way. If you're new to this, parables are life stories in which, in this case, Jesus uses the physical world, the known world that we live in, to compare it to the spiritual world. And so he lays a physical reality alongside a spiritual reality. You're going to see that this morning. Well, in section two, the way that he uses it is he begins describing this era that we live in right now in 2020. He talks about the time from his first coming in between the time of his second coming. We talked about this last week. If, if the second coming is on this side of me and the first coming is on this side of me, there's this 2,000-year period of time between the first and the second that's known as the era of the church age, and it's unlike anything else in Earth's history or in Earth's future. It's a unique window of time, the era in which you currently live. Back in October, when we started the parable study, I told you to keep an eye out for a phrase that would be coming in the future, and it would be repeated over and over again by Jesus. This morning is a prime example of that particular phrase, when he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, or the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven is like. That's Jesus saying, pay attention There's something that you're going to learn here that only I can show you because when God tells you things about the kingdom of heaven, those are things that only God knows. Well, this parable is that prime example. Let me show you the whole parable and then we'll come back and break it down. Look with me up on the screen or maybe in your own copy, Mark 4, 26. And he was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows How he himself doesn't know. Verse 28. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. 
But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, the great difficulty with this particular parable, Jesus doesn't explain it. He did last week when we looked at the parable of the sower. He, he broke it all down and said, this soil is this and this soil is this. But he doesn't do that here because of the fact that you should already have understanding. He's left it to us to do the work of assembling the meaning of it. Do you remember what he said when we looked at the parable last week, if you were here? He said, let him who has ears to hear, hear. He's speaking specifically to believers there. You've got the presence of the Holy Spirit in you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So this is you and I that he's talking to. Because the distinguishing characteristic of a Christian is that we listen to and we obey the word of God. We hear it, we believe it, and we obey it. Well, the reality is not everybody has ears to hear. So Jesus recognized there's a specific group of people who have ears to hear and they're going to hear but not everybody gets it because not everybody believes. We believe, therefore, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit to help us understand. God's illuminating your understanding this morning. So what distinguishes you as a believer? You have ears to hear. That hope that happened at, at salvation when you professed faith in Christ, you began, even if it was in small form, having a greater hunger for the word of God. And God took that and, and blessed that and increased it. And you want to know more and more and more. Well, here's how we assemble the pieces. Last week, he gave us the paradigm of the soils in that parable. He said, there's going to be some soil that's going to reject it flat out. It's going to be really hard. And there's going to be some that are thorny. And, and it looks like the seed took root, but it gets choked out because of the cares of the world. But, but there's some soil that's so soft and, and ready and fertile that it receives the word of God. And as a result, it grows. So once you've got that parable down, you can begin putting the pieces together when he talks about seeds here. Everything begins to fall into place. Now, just on the chance that you weren't here last week and I don't want you feeling like you walked into the middle of a movie, let me help you with what's going on here. Jesus is revealing the mysteries of the kingdom, this church age between the first coming and the second coming. And part of the mysteries that he's talking about is what we're describing here. We learned something specific about the church age, that it would be characterized by believers in God sharing what God has so showed them and going out and telling people about who Jesus is. In other words, making disciples. Well, a really important detail to remember when you're working through this parable is it's answering a hard question. What about when I do that and my coworker rejects it? Or my family member wants nothing to do with it? Or my neighbor says, well, that's good for you, but I've got my own thing going, thanks. What do I do then? And that's a distinct reality because it's happening all the time. A misunderstanding could arise in the midst of that in which you begin to think, am I doing something wrong? I thought I was supposed to be able to do this. And we begin doubting whether or not God's even present in us if somebody doesn't even want to listen to what we're sharing. Well, here in this particular parable, Jesus is speaking of another kingdom mystery between the first century and this time in 2020, this period of time in the church age. He's talking about a kingdom mystery that the power is not in you. The power is in the seed. It's in the word of God. Look with me up on the screen when Jesus describes this. Just bear down on these six words. The kingdom of God is like... 
Well, it's, it's like what, Jesus? It's like a man who goes out to sow seed and he's throwing it out there in that field and there's something happening. So the parable of the sower last week already demonstrated that the seed is actually the word of God, specifically regarding salvation in Jesus. So how do I apply that? Well, last week, Jesus showed us that there's different soils that are going to receive it and hear it differently. And some are going to receive it in a way that they look like they're receiving it, but then they reject it. And others are going to reject it out of hand, but some are like you this morning. It's caused fertile growth, and you've become a believer in Jesus because you heard the word. Hearing it in the sense that you believed it and you embraced it and it's part of your life, that's what sets a believer apart. So say amen if you agree with me on this. The greatest grace gift we've been given then is salvation, okay? So that salvation that you've been given came to you because you believed the word of God. So hand in hand with the greatest grace gift that you've been given is salvation would be the greatest gift given to us is the word of God. In other words, God's revelation. Because you could not have believed the things of God unless you had the word of God. So in truth, you've been given this great grace gift. You've been given salvation, but you've been given the word of God. So the greatest thing that we have is the word of God, his revelation, which when it's received into the soil, when it's received into your life, it produces eternal life. In other words, it produces salvation. Well, this parable goes even deeper than last week, even though it's super simple and it goes really fast. It talks about how the kingdom grows as a result of this seed being sown into the soil. So take this first verse that Jesus stated, verse 26. And he was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. There's nothing extraordinary about that. That's an everyday occurrence, especially in the first century world that Jesus was in. Normal experience of planting, growing, and harvesting. After the sowing of the seed, the seed grows, it spouts forth life, and eventually it produces a crop. Uh, my experience, it takes a lot of faith to be a farmer. Farmers have to be super patient. Had farmers approach me after the nine o'clock service, say, man, you're preaching my language. As a, a grandson, I watched my grandfather farm. He loved farming, and I discovered how patient you have to be from the time that you put the seed in until the product comes up out of the ground. And then, not even then, can you harvest it. you got to wait till it becomes fully mature. At first, there's nothing to show for the seed. To the degree, you might think that something's not happening, that there's nothing going on. But underneath, in the soil, there's this inner dynamic that's unfolding. In time, it's going to produce even though from a human point of view, it appears that there's nothing going on, that God's not even working. What Jesus is saying, biblically, it's the same thing. In the meantime, after you've planted the seed, a wise disciple waits and waits patiently and allows God to do what only God can do. You know what that tells me, church? It tells me that kingdom work is not dependent on human effort. It's not. This kingdom work is not dependent on human effort or human success. The success of the message of the cross is not dependent upon my capability. Because if it were, it would fail. 
Now, I'm responsible to sow the seed. You're responsible to sow the seed. We're responsible to drop seeds in people's lives. What does that look like? We'll talk about that in just a moment. But it's God who brings the power because God is the one who produces life. So any success from spreading the seed is because God's active, not because I'm a great strategist or not because I'm a great communicator, not because we know the right words to use at the right moment in time. See, nobody could miss the meaning of this parable because it's super simple. A farmer plants, he works all day long, he's got the soil ready and he puts the seed in and he goes back home and he waits and he waits. And given the right conditions of the soil, Jesus says in the preparation, he can't do anything but wait until the harvest. The farmer plays no role in the growth whatsoever and that's the point Jesus is hitting. Watch verse 27. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows. How he himself does not know, it's completely inexplicable. The seed goes into the ground and it's still a mystery to us today. The seed is dead. It actually rots in the soil. I had a farmer come up to me after the nine o'clock service and say, you know, that seed is not just innate when it goes in the soil. It actually rots in the soil before it springs forth into life. Well, the reality is it goes in and it dies and yet it comes out as life. How does that happen? Well, nobody knows. Even today, nobody really knows. The farmer doesn't know. The farmer can't make it happen. No one can. Even the brightest, smartest horticulturalist in the world today can't tell you how it happens. They know that it does and we can study it through magnifying glasses and we can watch the process, but how does something dead come to life. Out of dying seeds comes life and a huge crop as a result. And that's the wonder of the gospel, Jesus is saying. Simple message, death of the seed goes into the soil and the truth is shared and out of it comes the power of life. So Jesus is saying in verse 27, he goes to bed at night and he gets up by day telling us that our role in this is like the farmer who plants and then goes home. I like this a lot. I mean, I like it a lot, a lot. Because it should take some stress away from your life. It's not about what you're doing. You gotta sow the seed, but you can't make it grow. You don't need to stay awake at night stressing over this. Sure, we have family members, we have relatives, we, we have people in our neighborhood, friends of ours, whom we really want them to get it. We know what's at stake, eternity is at stake. But Jesus is telling them, don't stress about this. You can actually go home like the farmer and go to sleep. Your job is to plant the seed. Let God shine the light. Leave it to God to do the work. Now, you may have heard me say here publicly um, when we share the gospel invitation with individuals that when they go out into the parking lot, they don't have to worry about somebody tackling them, right? You, you, you don't have to receive what we're sharing, and you don't have to worry that somebody's going to tackle you. Well, first of all, no, that's true on two levels. First of all, there's nobody here waiting to tackle you this morning. But also, when you go to Scripture, you never see Jesus tackling anybody. He shares the information, and then he gives them space to process it. Can you imagine in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus came to Jesus in the late hours of the evening asking questions about the new birth? And when he walked out the door and the screen door slammed behind him, he hadn't yet expressed belief. Can you imagine Jesus chasing him out the door saying, wait, you've got to believe. 
No, that didn't happen. Jesus didn't tackle anybody. He just gives them space to process the truth, to hear what's being shared, because it's not forced. See, you're not responsible this morning for what happens. You're responsible to plant the seed. That's the wonder of it. So it needs to be understood by all Christians everywhere, deep in your heart. Your job is to tell the truth about God's message. It's that simple. The unadulterated truth. We're sinners in need of a savior. That's the truth of the message. Let God do the work that only God can do. All I can do is communicate truth. Because I can't force the results, that means I can't give life. And you can't give life either. And it's mysterious. It's, we're just like the farmer. Verse 28. The soil produces crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. Now, I know it feels like I'm really hammering this, but Jesus is really hammering this point. The soil does this all by itself. There's a key Greek word here that's being used, which means without visible cause. You see it in your notes if you've already opened your notes up. It's the word autonomatos. And we'll put it up on the screen in just a moment for you. But here's what it's saying. No human being, no matter how persuasive, no matter how clever, no matter how good of a saleswoman or a salesman you might be, you can't make this happen. You can't do that. I can't change hearts because I can't produce life from death. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can do that. You can't. Jesus hammered that on John 6, Look with me on the screen at this verse. He says specifically, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So if you've come to Jesus in faith, it's because God drew you in. Saw you, identified you, and God did the work and drew you in. So here's this Greek word. It's the only Greek word in your notes, autonomatos. You probably didn't know you spoke the Greek language, but you do. Because every time you use the word automatic, you're using the same word. Automatic is the same as autonomatos. It's just in the Greek form here. And it means to be spontaneous of its own accord. In other words, spontaneously, life comes from it. Hear it this way. Paul stated it really, really clearly that human involvement doesn't cause salvation. It doesn't matter who you know on planet earth. They cannot make you justified. Only God can do that. See how Paul says it. 1 Corinthians 3.5. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. Even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth, to which New Hope Church would say, amen, right? That's God doing that. Well, it's reinforced in the book of John. John says this in chapter one. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, means I can't do it, but of God. All we can do is share the truth accurately. That means something about what you're holding in your hand right now. You're holding a copy of God's word? Maybe it's electronic, maybe it's printed. Maybe you reached under the chair rack and you grabbed one or you're reading it on the screen. That means something about this. This seed, it is powerful. 
It is powerful, like explosive dynamite, powerful. This is what scripture says, Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for what church? For it is the power of God. Dunamos, it's explosive, it does things. So we understood from last week, the soil is prepared. The soil is prepared to receive by God. And once received, God's the one that makes it grow. All we're doing is being seed casters. I'm just throwing the seed out there, allowing God to do what only God can do. Because what God begins, he completes. Scripture says this, Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So here's how Jesus closes, verse 29. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Do you notice that the sower's ultimate interest is future? Look in future to the harvest, that there's a harvest that's going to come. Whenever that happens, whenever that future is, the grain is going to be ready, and he immediately puts in the sickle and begins the harvest because the time for the harvest has come. In the Greek language, it says, it stands ready. Should make you think of the phraseology that Jesus used when he said, the fields are white unto harvest, meaning they're standing ready, waiting for it. Well, many people have linked that over the years with this thought from the book of Joel in the Old Testament that perhaps it's talking eschatologically about the second coming, that maybe it's linked with when God's going to send the angels as reapers to harvest the earth. Joel says that in the Old Testament, and many times throughout the New Testament, it's repeated again. But that may be part of what Jesus is referring to here, but I don't think that's the primary thing. The primary focus of this parable has been assurance, assurance that there's going to be a crop, therefore there's going to be a harvest. Jesus is driving at this point because he needs to encourage the disciples. What have they just experienced well, the Pharisees and the Sadducees have just said that Jesus is the son of Satan. They've just rejected the message. The rejection has come from their friends and their neighbors who think this is nothing but laughable. So Jesus turns to the disciples and he begins encouraging them by saying, not only will there be soil that will not receive this, but there will be soil that will receive this. And when they receive it, it will produce a crop 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. That's referring back to last week. Last week, we saw that much of the seed that was scattered didn't produce, remember that, 75%. Not very good odds. 75% didn't return, but 25% did, and out of that came amazing growth. Well, that reality can be really discouraging. When you stop and process the reality that Jesus is even saying 75% wouldn't receive, well, here he's reassuring that in due season, if we're faithful, we're going to reap a harvest so the encouragements for these disciples listening to this and for us this morning in 2020 is that from very small beginnings, the kingdom is going to continue to grow in size and in its influence. In other words, you're part of something much, much bigger than you understand. There's something much, much bigger that God's in the midst of doing. So I'm going to ask you right now as we begin wrapping this up to picture eternity. I don't know what you picture when you think of that, what you think of when you think of heaven. 
Some of you have friends who are standing in eternity right now. Some of you have family members. Some of you have lost family members just in this last week within my own family. A family member died in the last two days. Cheryl just lost Lane within the last few days. What do you picture when you think of eternity? Picture this. People whom you've never met who consider you friends who can't wait for you to get there. People who you wouldn't even recognize on planet Earth. But because of the money you sowed or because of the word that you shared at a lunch table or perhaps because of that child you had a conversation with, maybe you went to a hospital room and while you were talking to somebody in the hospital bed, a nurse overhears you. It could be something as simple as, I've been reading in my Bible lately this, and somebody in the hallway hears you as they're walking by, and they suddenly find a seed has just been dropped in their life. You may not share the full-blown gospel message in the midst of a conversation, but perhaps you planted a seed. How is God going to use that when that friend sees you in eternity and says, you have no idea what that seed did that, that work that you did and how God used it, it actually filtered down to my life. And I'm here today in eternity because of what you shared. So it could be through money you gave. It could be through a lunch table conversation. It could be a child that you talked to. Who knows how God's going to use it? It may even be when you bring an exchange student from Berlin, Germany to live in your house in 1991. You wonder what I'm talking about. There's a family here in the church who just in the last two or three weeks shared with me their story, how they brought a young man into their life. Dirk came from Berlin, Germany as an exchange student to live for a school year in their home. Their older sons had moved on to college and they decided we'll bring him into our house and so they made an arrangement with the family in Germany because their own sons were going to a Christian school. They said the, the arrangement we have is we want you to agree with us that you'll pay the tuition for him to go to the Christian school that our sons go to. And so together each day they would jump in the van and drive off to the school together. There, there was a principal there, principal by the name of Roger and he always gave hugs to the kids as they came into the school. Dirk Enjoyed that a lot, but he didn't enjoy the Christian school so much. And so he wanted out. I didn't mention to you that he was also a champion kickboxer. And so as teenagers would be with lots and lots of energy in his life, and he's coming from Germany where people are already very intense, and I can say that because I'm partly German. And so he brings his intensity, he brings his kickboxing background, and he's a teenager, and he brings it into this setting in the United States, and he's not liking the rule system too much at the Christian school. But the family had them agree with him that he would go to church, because they're not church people in Germany. But Dirk is experiencing church in the United States for the first time. So week after week after week, they're taking him to church. Well, eventually he came back to the Christian school, and near the end of his school year, Dirk went on a shopping trip with older members of the family. They're driving up to Birch Run to the mall. On the way up to Birch Run, a conversation breaks out in the car. They begin talking about God things. And so he's asking questions back and forth about what all these things mean. They pull into the parking lot, and after a two to three hour conversation, Dirk surrenders his life to Jesus Christ becomes a follower of Christ. 
But the story doesn't stop there. There's only about a month left in his school year and his sister wants to come from Germany to experience part of the United States. And so the family sends her over. She's here for a few weeks and then collectively they, as a family, go back to Berlin. The family that attends here at New Hope didn't know what would come of that. But they knew that the young man, Dirk, was very nervous about his dad. And he said, my dad will never understand this. So they began praying with him, praying that he would find a church and he would find a group of friends. That young man apparently had quite an impact because he called back midsummer, several months into it. And he said, you won't believe what happened. The father of the family said, what do you mean? I won't believe what happened. What happened? And he said, my dad received Jesus as his savior. Well, then eventually his mom did as well. Now, fast forward 25 years to this time right now. They received a call from that grown-up young man that they'd had in their home. They now wanted their son, who was a teenager, to come to the United States as an exchange student. His name is Max. So Max comes here to the United States, right? They want him to have the same experience. So Max comes here and they invite him out to dinner and they take him to an MSU basketball game and in the midst of the dinner, ask Max, what's faith like in your home? Well, it turns out Max is a really strong believer in Christ. He went on to say that his aunt came to faith in Christ, his grandparents are believers and his mom and dad and as a matter of fact, he has never known a time in his life, this teenager, when he hasn't had believing grandparents, believing parents, and believing aunts and uncles. How amazing from that one seed of God doing the work through a family who was willing to trust, sharing it in such simple ways, week in and week out, God does what only God can do. What's our job in that? Our job is just to share the story, to to tell the truth forever and ever that family will enjoy the harvest of that family in eternity one day. They'll be interacting, they'll be fellowshipping, and they can point back to this moment in time and say, it's because of that. So this work of God, it's divinely automatic. How encouraging is that, church, that this regeneration, this transformation, the whole process is God-o-matic. You getting it? You tracking with me, right? God's doing the whole thing. We have the job. We got to get the seed out there. But he says, I'm going to do the work. Just trust me with this. So we listen humbly and we process God's word daily. And when he brings the opportunity, we just share his truth. We just cast the seed. It might be the littlest nugget. We do it trusting that he's going to use it. So here's my challenge for you this week. Give him space to bring the increase. You go home and go to sleep, right? After you've cast the seed, do your job. Rest like the farmer. Don't stress over it. Let God bring the increase. Would you pray with me about that? Let's pray together. Father, I know with this many of us in the auditorium that it's represented over and over and over by Children who have not received it. Siblings who have not received it. Dear friends, co-workers. And we wonder if the effort that we've put forth is doing any good whatsoever. 
you've encouraged us this morning. You've reminded us that we have a responsibility. But at the same time, you've shown us it's, it's about what you're doing. And we have to trust you with that. So God, I ask for each of us that are gathered here, for those who are watching online right now, that we would believe that you are at work behind the scenes because you're not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So God, I ask that you would make us bolder. That at the same time, we take away the stress that you would make us more confident. And we only have to trust you by sharing the seed and letting you do the work. God, we ask that you would bless that. Whatever conversations take place this afternoon, whatever conversations take place tomorrow, in the workplace or at school, use it, God. Use it for your kingdom. We ask for this in the matchless name of Jesus, our soon coming king. And all God's people said, have a great week, New Hope.